James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. James 4, verse 1 to 3. And marriage and family. Continuing the series. And you're wondering, when is this going to end? I think it might go to close to the end of the year. Because there are about 30 different topics we're covering. Marriage and family. And tonight I'm going to preach on about handling conflict or dealing with conflict. James 4 verse 1 to 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are privileged and thankful indeed that we are children of the Most High, that there is peace on earth to those with whom you are well pleased, and glory to God in the highest. O Lord, open our eyes to see your glory, to behold more of your greatness and your majesty, to be less amazed with ourselves and with created things, and to be more amazed with you and with your goodness. We pray that you would speak to us this evening. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. When I was a young lad, about eight years old, my cousins and I, when we visited my grand, we would go down to the park. And at the park, beautiful, lush, green grass, there was a stream. And at the stream, we would pick up stones and then we would hit these stones against each other and they would make sparks. We would call them as boys, fire stones. You know, some some families are like those firestones. Actually, anywhere where you find two sinners together, there will be sparks. And in some families and some marriages, some married couples say and families say, we never fight. We don't have conflict. Like a man who sat in my lounge and said to me, um, in front of his wife, he said, my wife and I never fight. And his wife just sat with just staring, giving a blank stare, didn't say anything. You see, the truth is that they do fight. They do fight. There are differences, but perhaps she's too afraid to say it to him. So she fights in her heart. Uh, she knows maybe if she says something and disagrees with her husband, it's going to be petrol on the fire. Maybe it'll be World War Three. So prevent that, to prevent that from happening, she, she just keeps quiet. But actually there's a war in her heart. Wayne Mack has a story like that. He tells of a couple who sat in his uh, counseling room or in his study, and they'd been married for 45 years. And the husband boasted and said, my wife and I never fight. We never have an argument. And Wayne Mack turned to the wife and said, is that true? And she said, yes. And he said, but how? And then she just slouched and her shoulders hung and her head hung. And she looked down, as Wayne Mack says, sheepishly. And she says, well, I do disagree with him, but I'm too afraid to say it. I just don't voice it because very early on in our marriage, I voiced my opinion once. 
when I disagreed with him. And he got angry and he said, Don't argue. Let's not argue. Stop it. I don't like arguing. And since that day, I, I realized from then on, it's better if I just keep my mouth shut and keep my opinions to myself. So you see, the question is not whether you have conflict in your family. And you can apply this to churches and to friendships and to work, but I'm applying to marriage and family. The question is not if you have conflict. The question is how do you deal with it? How, you, how do you handle it? So let's read James 1. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, James 4, sorry, James 4, verse 1 to 3. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So, first of all, in dealing with conflict, how do we do so? The first thing, uh, point we're going to look at is the cause of conflict. That's in verse 1 to verse 2b. You know, some kids at school, when I was at school, there were children, they have a reputation of of being fighters. They fight. Uh, I remember one boy in my high school, everyone knew this guy's always busy fighting, fist fighting, beating someone, beating up someone. <coughs> and he, he got this reputation of that guy can fight kind of people they're always in a fight somewhere someplace sometime and some marriages are like that and some families are like that they're always busy fighting and they think it's normal they think everyone does it now it is true that none of us is without conflict but it's not part of a christian character it's not part of a christian uh, lifestyle if you're always busy fighting, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a Christian character. It's a mark of an unbeliever if you're always busy fighting. Unbelievers, there's a party spirit and there's uh, disunity and there's fighting and arguing and anger and murder and so on. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And yet it's true that that even Christians sometimes, there will be sharp disagreements at times, and there will even be division at times, disunity. It's almost like the disciples in Luke 22, where they were arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom. Or Paul and Barnabas, two godly men, they had a sharp disagreement and they parted ways. In Acts 15, 36-41, or the Corinthians, I'm for Paul, I like Apollos' preaching, I like when Peter preaches. And they had these factions and groups in the church, in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 12. And you see, the, the person who, the Christian who acts that way, really shows he's, he's spiritually immature, he is childish. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 4, Paul says, you are childish because of these divisions. 
Okay, so answer, answer this question. Are you the cause in some way? Are you involved in some way in a divided marriage, in a broken family, in fighting in a family, a divided family? Are you always fighting? Well, then you need to ask yourself, do you know the Lord? Are you saved? Or you need to ask yourself, are you perhaps spiritually immature? Because if you see these symptoms of spiritual sickness in your marriage and in your family, you need help. And I'm going to show you how in a moment. But for now, you need to get to the root of the issue. You need to get to what's causing this problem, what's causing the strife and the fighting and the arguing and the war in your marriage or in your family. Verse 1 says, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Now, some people will say, oh, it's because <clears throat> the people in my family, we've all got different personality types. That's why we fight. Or some people blame work stress. No, it's work stress. Or it's a bloodline curse, a generational curse, which, by the way, doesn't exist. Um, or no, it's, it's my background. You know, I'm Dutch. <laughs> and the Dutch fight. Or... Hey, my surname. My surname is Peterson. What do you think? The Petersons fight. That's what we always do. I can't help it. Well, I'm just so tired and had a hard day at work. And now my kids demand my attention. That's why we're fighting. Well, I've got uh, maybe glandular problems or uh, an overactive thyroid or it's BMS. It's my hormones. Um, I'm getting older, you know, uh, I'm just sensitive for it's noise. I can't take too much sound around me and that's why I fight. It's a demon in, in our family, a demon of, of fighting. Or it's this medication I'm using, I can't help it. It's because of this heart medication or medication for my blood pressure. It's part of the side effects and then I fight. I can't, can't stop it. Others, they, they blame the people around them. They would say, yes, why am I fighting? Isn't it obvious? My, my wife doesn't want to be intimate with me. Or my husband, he wants too much sex. That's why we're fighting. My mother-in-law, she's meddling in our business. She's sticking her nose in our business. It's my parents. They don't understand me. They just make life difficult for me. It's this teenage son of mine, he's pressing the wrong buttons, he's rubbing me the wrong way. It's my brother, he makes me angry. It's my sister. She just reminds me of all the bad in the past and makes me think of bad experiences of a, I had as a child. Well, it's my parents, they put too much pressure on me. It's these children of mine driving me nuts. It's my my dad, my parents are unfair, my wife, she doesn't give me my rights, it's my husband, he doesn't consider me, it's, it's my parents, <laughs> you know, I'm 20 years old, they treat me like I'm still a child, they're just limiting my freedom. Well, according to James, that's not, not one of those things I just mentioned, is the real reason why people fight. The real reason people fight, James gives us in verse 1. You see, the, all these things people do in your circumstances, that's just the, the trigger of the gun. That's just the striker of the gun. 
It's not the bullet. Uh, the trigger and the striker, it can cause the bullet to explode, but the ability to explode lies in the bullet itself. And in the same way, fighting and anger, it's not other people who put it inside you. It's not your circumstances that makes you angry. It puts anger inside you. No, the anger is in you. The anger is in you. People and circumstances just pull the trigger. And so what's already inside of you, that comes out, that explodes. Jesus teaches us it's from the heart that all these things come. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Mark 7, verse 21 to 23. Now, I'm not saying what other people do is, is right. I'm not saying they should pull the trigger. I'm not saying they should press all the wrong buttons. But what I am saying is we must stop blaming other people and circumstances for our sin. Because as long as you do that, you will not recognize, acknowledge, and see your own sin. And then you won't confess your sin, and then you won't be forgiven. Because the Bible teaches us, if you confess and forsake your sin, you will obtain mercy. Proverbs 28 verse 13b. And so let us take personal responsibility, everyone for his own sin, even if the other person was also wrong. Take responsibility for your own sin. So what you should say is, I shouldn't have lost my temper. I shouldn't have shouted at you, yelled at you. I shouldn't have smeared your reputation. I shouldn't have ignored you. Please will you forgive me. So acknowledge that the, the war between you and other people is because of the war in your own heart. James says it in another way. He says your own lusts, your own desires, your own passions are at war within you. There's war outwardly because there's war inwardly. Verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? And sometimes it's evil passions, evil desires, evil lusts, like, like a lust for alcohol, getting drunk, or for pornography. But sometimes it's a good desire, but you want it too much, and it becomes an idol. You want it too much. You want love and respect and rest and peace and you want to be accepted and you want people to understand you. And that's not wrong, but you want it too much and it becomes an idol. Now question, how do you know when it's become an idol? Well, it just overpowers you, this thing. It, it controls you. It controls your thought life. It controls, it dominates your conversations and your planning and your budget and the way you spend your time and it starts controlling your emotions if you have this peace or love or rest or respect or whatever you want if you have this you feel happy and you've got peace and if you and if you don't get it then you feel depressed and you anxious and maybe even angry so you, this lust is so strong to want what you want this desire to get what you want is so strong you are willing to sin to get it. You're willing to sin if you can't have it. For instance, a mother, when she swears at her children and she yells at them um, because they, you know, they little boys, seven-year-olds, and they're playing and shouting and screaming. And if she yells at them and swears at them, then it shows that her desire for just having a relaxing evening and um, having peace and quiet, that has become an idol for her. And because she can't get it, she yells and swears at her children. 
Some people will literally murder other people if you come between them and their idol. Verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder, like Cain did with Abel. He murdered him when Abel came between him and what he wanted. He wanted it to be accepted. He wanted to be seen and be central. Or like King Ahab, when he approved of his wife murdering Naboth, because he wanted Naboth's vineyard, his wine farm, and Naboth said, no, you can't have it. It's a family inheritance. And then King Ahab had him murdered. Because you're getting between me and what I want. My idol. That's why the Pharisees crucified Jesus. Because they were jealous of him. He's taking more followers than we have. More people like Jesus than they are people who like us. Or many years ago, in the 1990s, when a a young man murdered a, a mother. He murdered a woman in Lutrichard where I grew up. Because the... The mom had told him, you can't go out with my daughter. And he murdered her because you're standing between me and my idol. Now, some people haven't murdered someone yet, but they're planning it. Maybe even you listening to the sermon. So you're daydreaming about how you just get rid of that person and remove him from your life. And, And if that's you I'm talking to, you better be careful. You better be careful. If King David could murder someone, then any of us, it's possible with any of us that we can murder someone. You be careful. Um, others of you listening to the sermon, you're not planning to kill someone, but you hate someone. You hate someone in your family. And according to Scripture, you you just there's no difference really between you, you and the murderer. Jesus says, murder starts in the mind. Murder starts in your thoughts. Murder starts in your heart. So you are a murderer. Anyone who hates his brother, 1 John 3.15, is a murderer. Matthew 5.21 and 22, you're a murderer. Now perhaps you say, no, I don't really hate the person, but what, what really is it other than hate if you wish this person is out of your life? You get angry if you just think of the person. You wish he'll die. You feel bitter toward him. You shout at him and fight and gossip and and swear at him and maybe even hit him, attack him physically. What what else is that than hate? That's hate. It's hatred. So you're a murderer then. And what's the reason? Why are you doing it? Well, exactly what verse 1 and 2 says. Your passions are at war within you. You desire, you don't have, so you murder, you cover and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. That's the reason. The person has come between you and your idol. And what is your idol? I don't know. What's it? Money or respect? You want respect? You want to be successful or happy or you want peace in your family or you want praise? You want people to like you? You want to be accepted? And if they don't do that or someone stands in your way, then you are angry and you'll fight. And to tell you the truth... What's happening if we do that, we're really making an idol of ourselves. We're making an idol of ourselves. It's all about what you want, what you want, or what I want. And that becomes very clear when people cross your will, and then you tell them, now you will see, now you will understand you have messed with the wrong person. You will see, I was, I was right and you were wrong. So you can you can expect a call from my lawyer. 
I'm going to destroy you. And you will beg for mercy when I'm done with you. You know, I, I want to respond to that and say, ouch, ouch. Not ouch for the other person you are angry with, but ouch for you. Ouch for you, because the way you are acting, if that's you, that shows something about what's, what's in your heart. You are obsessed with yourself. You see yourself as the center of the universe. And should God just turn a blind eye and act as if, oh, you know, it doesn't matter that you're trying to push me off my throne. Secondly, the solution to conflict. That's verse 2c and verse 3, which I've already read to you. So the saying goes, the family that prays together stays together. And that's true. It's true. And it means that the opposite is also true. The family that doesn't pray together won't stay together. And I've seen that in, in marriage counseling. So the husband and wife, they're fighting. They come to me for counseling. And I go through all of this with them. And I say, what do you want? What is this passion that is at war within you? What do you want? And usually it's what most husband and wives want. The husband wants his wife to respect him. And the wife wants her husband to love him. And they think they deserve this. I deserve for you to love me. I deserve for you to respect me. And so I asked them, okay, so you're fighting about it. You're fighting to get this love and respect. Have you prayed about the matter at all? And usually the answer is no. Okay, have you prayed that the Lord will change your heart? Have you prayed for your spouse that the Lord will help them to grow? Are you praying for your spouse on a regular basis? Are you praying for your marriage? And usually the answer to all those questions is no. So you see, they... they don't get what they want because they're fighting to get it and they're not praying and asking the Lord to get it. Verse 2 at the end, you do not have because you do not ask. And the, and the verses before that, you're fighting to get that. You're not praying. So if you want to overcome fighting in your marriage and in your family, you need to learn to pray together. You need to get into a right relationship with God so that you can live in a right relationship with your family, with your husband, with your wife. You see, it's when you learn to communicate with your Creator and with your Father in Heaven that you learn to communicate with other people. And I don't mean just say a prayer before you, before you eat. I mean, prayer should be a central part of your daily life should be a central part of your marriage and of your family. Pray in your quiet time. Pray during family devotions. Pray before you go to bed. Pray when you get up in the morning. Pray if you've sinned against one another. Confess your sins to the Lord. Pray if there's a crisis. Pray when God has answered your prayers. Give Him thanks. Pray when you want to give praise to the Lord. Do that often. Pray, pray, pray. Pray without ceasing. And don't so don't do it for a week or for a month and then you stop. Persevere in prayer. And if everyone in the family do, does that, and especially the leader of the family does that, then God will give you wisdom to solve the problems in your marriage. 
and solve the problems in your family. As James 1 verse 5 tells us, pray for wisdom in these trials. So, so if you're not into this, if you're not in the habit, get into the habit of praying together often, regularly. Do it when you get up in the morning as a family. Pray together. Or after dinner at night, or maybe before you go to bed, but pray together. And then you give everyone a turn to pray, and then also pray for each other. And make, make certain you, you're doing this with the right intentions and with the right motives. <coughs> for instance, don't just pray that the Lord will change your spouse, change my husband, Lord, change my wife, or change my parents, or my brother, or my sister. Don't just pray for the Lord to change them. Ask the Lord to change you and to help you to become more like Christ. Because if, you, if you're only praying for other people and for their sins and not for yourself, then it clearly and plainly shows you don't see, you don't see your own sin as a problem. You don't even see your own sin. You're just seeing them as the problem. Now, I don't mean you're not allowed to pray for others and for their sins and ask the Lord to change them, but pray with the right motives. So, for instance, don't say, Lord, please open my husband's eyes so he can see I was right and he was wrong. Or, Lord, please take my mom, just remove her from our life so we can have peace and quiet. That's a selfish prayer. Or, Lord, this rebellious child of ours, please save him so we don't look like a failure as parents. That is a selfish prayer. If, you, if you're going to pray like that, then you've got wrong motives and the, the Lord won't answer your prayer. Verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Because now your prayer is, is self, self-focused. self It's all about your glory and not about God's glory. And why should God give you something that's only going to harm you and it's going to rob God of his glory? Do you really expect God must give you the idol you're asking for? You're asking for an idol. First you fought to get that idol. Now you're praying to get the idol. You should have right motives. God knows the idol's going to harm you and it's going to draw you away from him. Verse 4 and 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? You belong to God. He won't share you with idols. So ask the Lord to search your heart and your motives. And then confess that You have been the most important in your own eyes. And that you haven't put the the interests of other people above your own. And then confess that you've called yourself a Christian. But you've dragged the good name of Jesus through the mud. By the way you've been fighting. And then thank the Lord Jesus for his death on the cross. Thank him that his death is enough to remove your sin. And to change your heart. He has the power, you know. He has the power to change selfish people into humble people. And then pray that that God will help you and help your family to live like new people, like people who've been born again. And that you'll be at peace and live at peace with one another. 
because you want to honor God and you want unbelievers to see we really belong to Christ. And then you pray for one another's relationship with the Lord and you pray for one another's spiritual growth in your family. <clears throat> and you pray for, for opportunities to do good to one another. And you, you pray that God will give you grace to build one another up and to encourage one another and to have an, an open eye to see when other people in the family, when others in the family do good and not only have an eye to see their mistakes, their errors and their sins. When you pray for a humble heart, that will acknowledge when you were wrong. And so when you do that, be careful because it's easy to follow the world's way. Don't be like the world. Follow God's way when it comes to, to forgiveness and to confession of sins. Uh, you know, when the world confesses their sins, they say, you know, I'm sorry that I shouted at you, but if you didn't, <clears throat> that's just prideful. You don't acknowledge that you're wrong. And so you, you're blaming other people. You're blame shifting and you're excusing your sin. You're justifying yourself like Adam and Eve. It's the woman you gave me. It's the serpent. It's the snake. It's Satan. Or, or the proud person will say, you know, I didn't mean that. No, you did mean it. Or if I did something wrong, you know, and, and muttering under your breath, I don't know what that was. Now, if I did something wrong, why not rather acknowledge, you know, I was wrong. I did get angry and I did mean it when I got angry at you. Because if you make half a confession, you, will, you should expect half a forgiveness. So be specific in your confession of sin. And say what you did. Say what you did. Say what you are sorry for. Say what you are asking forgiveness for. <clears throat> Don't just say, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. No, place the guilt on yourself. Place it on yourself. Say, forgive me. And then you say what you did and be specific. And by saying forgive me, what you're doing is you're placing the ball in the other person's court. And now you're giving him or her a chance to respond. And then also, another thing here is learn to ask for forgiveness immediately. If you're going to wait for days and weeks and months and you just leave it, no, I'll wait for you. You're going to say sorry first. If you're going to do that, there's just sin is added to sin. And more and more sin is added to the list. And then it becomes a mess. So rather confess the sin immediately and sort things out, like Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells you. When it speaks of anger and fighting and so on, and it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed and you're still angry. Sort it out. Doug Wilson gives this illustration, an example of, let's say you drop something in on the, the lounge carpet, on the passage carpet. If everyone drops something and picks it up immediately, you can drop a thousand things and the house remains clean. But then he says if you drop something and just leave it there, and everyone drops something and just leaves it there, if you're going to clean up the house after six months, it's a major cleanup operation. And exactly the same here. Confess immediately. So once you drop it, pick it up, sort it out. And then Doug Wilson continues and he says he um gives very wise counsel in saying, don't go out, don't leave the house, don't invite guests into your house, 
if things aren't sorted out in your house. And so you better sort it out and do it quickly. And then Doug Wilson says that if if you could break the relationship so quickly, you can restore it just as quickly. Now someone might say, what if I wasn't wrong? I really wasn't in the wrong here, and the other person has sinned against me. Well, first of all, you want to make sure, and doubly so, you want to make sure that you're not busy taking splinters out of other people's eyes. You're seeing splinters all around, but you've got a beam in your own eye, like I preached this morning uh, from, from Luke. And if you can honestly then say, you know, I've searched my heart, I've asked the Lord to search my heart. Honestly, I'm not aware of anything, and there's no unconfessed sin in my life. Then you should apply Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. The other person has sinned against you. Matthew says, go to your brother, and this can be in your family also. Go to that family member and talk with him. You've sinned against me. Do it in a uh, right way. And then if he doesn't listen and you've really tried, then bring a witness, two witnesses. And if he doesn't listen to them, then the elders take it, takes it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, remove him. Um, let him be to you as a a Gentile and a tax collector. And then when you do all of this, ask that the Lord will help you and give you a, a gentle spirit, a loving spirit, while you do so. As James says, if someone is overtaken by sin, you or you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And take heed to yourself that you will not be tempted also. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if that person acknowledges his sin, then you should forgive. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Don't be like the world. You know, when you ask for forgiveness, they say, no, no, don't worry, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. God says sin is never okay. I've sinned against you. It's not okay. And so, or the person has sinned against you, don't say it's okay. Accept the person's confession and forgive the person. And if the person doesn't want to acknowledge his sin, you just make certain that you keep your side clean and you leave it in God's hands. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Or maybe they do. But you give it to God in prayer. You keep on entrusting it to Him who judges justly. And if everything is sorted out and you've talked, talked through everything, you know, later on, what do you do then? Now there's another fight. What you do then is you follow this whole process again. Because gonna, there's going to be conflict. And you confess again. And you forgive again. And there's reconciliation and restoration again. And you do this over and over until you get to heaven. And if you can't sort this out on your own, then you ask a mature Christian or the, the leaders of your church, you ask them, will you be a mediator and help us resolve the issue and the tension and the fighting? Uh, I think Ken Sandy's book, I make, made mention of it this morning, the Peacemaker, I think that's an excellent resource to help in situations like these. Please remember that Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5 verse 9. So don't just, don't just say you're a child of God, you're a Christian. Show it. Show it by being a peacemaker. Be like, be like John Bunyan. You know, John Bunyan, before he died... He got on his horse and had a little tour of 50 miles on his horse where he went to go and reconcile a father and son. 
that wasn't at peace. And he helped them to make peace. And after that, he went back and there was severe rain, storm. And he caught a cold and got a fever and died. So be like John Bunyan. Actually, actually, you shouldn't be like John Bunyan. You and I, we should be like the greatest peacemaker of all. Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we can have peace with God. Let's pray. Lord, once again, like this morning, I thank you for your mercy to us. Oh Lord, all of us, we stand guilty before you. We have sinned against you, our Father. And I pray that you would help us to be at peace in our marriages, in our families. None of us have done it right all the time. Please cleanse us, purify us of the sin that brings separation between us and other people and between us and you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus it cleanses us from all sins that has removed the separation between you and us and that you now smile upon us because of what Jesus did. Oh, restore again our fellowship with you and our relationship with you, our Father, and we as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.